is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning and welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Hour. I'm Daryl Pullis. I'm the new host of America's Homegrown Veggies. And we talked a little bit last week about how I came to be a gardener. Um, I'm a goofball gardener. I've been gardening since I was talking to plants when I was two years old. And my plant passion hasn't given up on me yet, even though I'm getting old and feeble and having to do a lot of gardening in containers. And along the way, I worked for the Extension Service, and I was Advanced Training Coordinator for the Georgia Master Gardener Program. I'm a Lifetime Master Gardener, and um, I had I taught at linear, taught Landscape Design at Linear Tech, and I always try to work landscape, work tom- tomatoes and other vegetables in the landscape. But I'm, I've got somebody with me today who is even better at that. Her name is Shannon Pable. She's the owner of Shannon's Garden Gallery. She's a garden designer, a certified arborist, a Georgia certified landscape professional, also an advanced certified master gardener, mm-hmm. and all sorts of other things like that. I have a list in front of me of some of her um, awards that she's won for garden design at Southeastern Flower Show, and it's just, it goes on for miles. <laughs> My yeah. head's blowing up, so, you know, you better stop there. <laughs> Massachusetts Hort Society, you know, the highest medal that you can get. Um, I, I think she's really well qualified. And what we're going to talk about today, at least to start off with, is how to hide the vegetables in your garden, if you are one of these people that have um, live in a subdivision with a homeowners association that think that vegetables are always ugly, and I've come across quite a few clients like that, and I'm sure that you have too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, a traditional vegetable garden can be ugly because it's hidden. You know, you've got the tomato cages and bean mm-hmm. poles and stuff like that. But it doesn't always have to be. No, it doesn't. And a lot of people don't even realize that how beautiful plants are. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I always like to do was to uh, it, just to kind of introduce a garden or the homeowners association to beautiful garden is put an eggplant in there. In mm. a pot, oh, in the yeah. porch with mm-hmm. flowers. Uh, you know, the farmer's long eggplant especially because it's mm-hmm. got great big flowers for an eggplant and it's got that beautiful long fruit. And people mm-hmm. don't even know what's there. Yeah, and there's so many different varieties of vegetables available now that are made to plant in pots. Yeah, you Renee's know. garden has mm-hmm. a lot of them. I'm growing yeah. her a couple of her multicolored chards this yeah, year. Yeah, she has some lovely, lovely they're, selections. They're mm-hmm. neon, gr- orange, and mm-hmm. yellow and bright red. So what? what's your favorite combination, or how do you go about it when somebody comes and says, I really want to grow some of my own vegetables, mm-hmm. but my backyard's all full of trees and it's all shady, yep. so all I have is my front yard. That's exactly what I have. You know, over the years, you know, when you first move into your subdivision house and everything's been clear-cut and you got this huge piece of property that's just full sun, then all of a sudden over the years, you know, the trees get larger and usually it's typically in the backyard because they usually leave a few more trees in the back and they do in the front because, you know, they clear cut out the front, you know, Mm -hmm. for the street and whatnot. Um, And so that's where I'm at right now. You know, 15, 16 years later, my backyard's full shade. My front yard is the place where I have the most sun. Um, What I love to do is um, there's a method called square foot gardening. Are Mm -hmm. you familiar with that? Okay. Um, It gets away from those ugly rows and you can do more of the groupings of plants. And you you need to treat the vegetables the way you would ornamentals as far as combining and doing swaths of things and combining different textures and colors. And pretty soon, you, you know, if the, uh, your neighbor walks by, they can't even tell that you're growing vegetables other than maybe they see the bright red tomatoes on the vine. But you can make it look beautiful if you do apply the same methods that you do with putting together ornamental plants you know apply that to your vegetables um, of course there's a little other a few other things to think about as far as your pollinators and combination plantings and things like that but um, there's a bunch of different ways to do it and have it look nice. A parterre garden, even. Um, the vegetables look great in a parterre garden, which is a little more formal of a garden. Let's explain to people what a square foot garden is mm-hmm. and what a parterre garden is. 
Because those are two two things that our listeners may not be familiar with. Yeah, and actually, it goes hand in hand. A parterre garden, think of your formal English gardens. Um, They usually have a border on them, maybe a a stone or a brick border. Um, They're done in symmetrical, geometric patterns. Um, A lot of times they're lined with an evergreen such as a boxwood, a low-growing boxwood, and it's neatly hedged. But in the center, they'll have a combination of perennials. So you have a nice, neat frame, and then in the center, you have your vegetables, your perennials, um, and it's it's the neat frame around it with your hedge, which might be boxwoods. I prefer maybe a yopon holly or something like that, a, a dwarf, because they grow better here in Georgia. Um, or if you want to go with a boxwood, go with a Korean boxwood. I think they do better. But anyway, you have your neat edge, and when you have that nice, neat sculpted edge, whatever you put in the center, it it automatically gives it a nice, neat appearance. So you could have your vegetables, your tomatoes in the center. Now, square foot gardening, that's a method of, um, you. there's calculations. I'm trying to think. Uh, there's a book. It's called The Square Foot yes. Gardener. Mel Bartholomew. Yes. Thank you. And, um, and wonderful book and you can apply even though I think it's meant mainly for the northeast you can apply a lot of what he says down here in the southeast it works great Um, for example radishes if you were to plant radishes he says um, each radish give it a four inch by four inch space and so you can um, or actually it's a three inch by three inch space so you can plant in a square foot you can plant a four by four um, section so you can get 16 radishes in a square foot. And 16 radishes every couple of weeks is about all that you're ever going to want. Too. Yeah, exactly. And, and he makes the point in his he made the point in his first book that the traditional way of gardening with great big long rows, you end up with too much of the same thing all at once. Mm-hmm. It may be fine if you're canning. Um, or if you have a big garden or if you just like it. But I like square foot gardening. One of the reasons I like the square foot garden is that you have your four squares laid out in each section. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, you've got 16 squares all together. And since you're only planting, well, you can plant everything at once, but you can then when you harvest one square, you can immediately replant it. Exactly. And, and you always have that clean space. Um, and the other thing that I like about it is that if you have a great big long vegetable garden, and you, pro- you probably grew up with a great big vegetable garden, and you start get in there and you start weeding, and you weed, and you weed, mm-hmm. and you feel like you've never gotten any place. Yeah. With a square foot garden, in 10 minutes, you've got your garden weeded. It's mm-hmm. all done. And you have yeah. a sense of accomplishment. It's yeah. like cleaning the sink versus dusting. You know, if you dust mm-hmm. five minutes later, the dust is all back down. Whereas you, if you really scour up the sink, you've got something done. It's clean. Exactly. And also when you're doing the rows, you waste a lot of seed because you know how you have to thin in between the plants. When mm-hmm. you're square foot gardening, you plant what you need and you don't plant with the intent to thin it. So you can get away with planting using a lot less seed. Yeah. And one of the things that I like about doing it that way, too, is I hate to thin. I yeah. feel like I'm a murdering plant. <laughs> I feel horrible. <laughs> and, and the beauty of square foot gardening is, too, you know, when you plant corn the traditional way, you know, you plant one for mm-hmm. you and one for the crow and one for the cutworm and mm-hmm. one to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you end up only with one plant out of all the, out of those four seeds. With square foot gardening, it's a small enough space mm-hmm. that you can put a little cover over it to keep the birds away, Mm -hmm. uh, a little screen to keep the squirrels out. I don't know about you, but we have a terrible problem with squirrels in our yard. Oh, yeah, we do, too. We do, too. Squirrels, deer, birds, you know. I I don't know what's worse, that or, you know, I've got a friend that deals with gophers all the time. She's out west. (laughs) And she'll come out in the morning, and and the gophers have gotten her garden. So I'm not sure which is worse. At least squirrels are smaller. Mm-hmm. And they don't dig holes big enough to step in, usually. Yeah. 
Yeah. But but the square foot gardening gives you an opportunity to protect your plants a little bit better. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's definitely um, easier. And it's easy access, too, because you think about it the way, um, you know, a typical garden might be, let's say, 12 feet long by 4 feet wide. And then you put walk boards um, mm-hmm. in between. And so reaching into any one section, you, you know, your very center might be only 2 feet away from you. The yeah. way that you would set it up, so it's, with it's square foot easier garden, to reach right. in and get in there, get what you need, you know, harvest. So, yeah. and you don't have to waste all that space in a traditional garden. You have so many rows, and when you have rows, you exactly. have to allow space to walk between them. Exactly. And I don't know about you, but when I was row gardening, I never left enough room. So by August, I was baiting, beating my way through the plants and trying to get there and getting soaking wet if there was dew out there. And, of course, you're never supposed to work your plants when they're wet anyway. Exactly. But they didn't dry off either. Yeah. One thing yeah. I have to caution people about with square foot gardening, though, is if you live in the south... You need to allow a little bit more for some of the vegetables. When I first, I was square foot gardening before I, it had a name. When I mm-hmm. lived up in, in New Jersey, just because I had an area of garden that was four feet wide, and I, that was what I had. And my pepper plants, for example, would be about the size of a, a regular wastebasket. They weren't, mm-hmm. they weren't very big. They were maybe a foot across. That was yeah. it. And maybe a eh, foot, 18 inches tall. Well, I came down here and I planted the same variety of pepper and it was three and a half feet tall mm-hmm. and two and a half feet wide. Yeah, the Incredible Hulk. Of, yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. we have such a long <laughs> growing season. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so now to go from a a square foot garden to a parterre. Mm-hmm. Is there much of a mindset that you have to do differently? You know, I don't think so. Um, and typically, if you work in squares in your parterre garden, it works out beautifully. Um, the, the only thing maybe I would keep in mind is if you do plant um, your green hedge around the plants you want to keep that hedge low enough that you can easily get in there but you would do that with any parterre garden you know to get into the center because typically that's where you have your perennials you have sort of i mean i hate to use the term your messy looking plants are in the center but you have your nice little neat edge your frame Mm -hmm. on the outside um so whatever you do plant on the outside make sure that it's low enough um and it's not prickly or something horrible to have to get around so that you can easily get in there. And also, um, maybe the plants that you have in the center are a little bit taller than your hedge. So, you know, your tomatoes, your eggplants, your peppers would do great. On the other hand, maybe your squashes, what you might want to do with those is mound your soil up a little bit higher so your squashes can maybe peak up a little bit higher um, around your hedge. How high do you make the, your hedge in your typical? Would you in try to typical, keep it to a foot or less than that? I would say a foot, foot and a half is plenty high. I saw a wonderful vegetable vegetable and herb garden that was hedged like that, but they hedged it with rosemary. And I yeah, thought I've that was that. A, mm-hmm. really, a really good deal because it, it gave it that nice, neat appearance. Yeah. You, oh, you can keep it very trim. And, of course, yes. with rosemary, if you need a handful of rosemary to yeah. throw onto the grill, onto the lava rocks or something like that, or mm-hmm. onto your charcoal, you've got it. Um, you can cut sticks and things like that uh, off of it to make skewers so you, you're always yeah. out there pruning and, it anyway. Yeah. And rosemary looks so much better when you do stay on top of pruning it. It just gets nice and thick and full. Rosemary can also be a really nice plant for the center of a bed, can't it? Something oh, like yeah. the Athens Blue Spires rosemary. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. Know it how, gets big. It's, it gets tall. Do you know how hardy it is? How far up north um, it goes? You know, I would say... Uh, you know, we had this pretty cold winter. Mm-hmm. Um, my rosemary got bit um, pretty good. So I would say if you're in zone six, you know, you're going to be chancing it. Okay. Well, it's yeah. it's still worth a try. Oh, We've yeah. got to take a little break right now, but we'll come back right after this message. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com 
Connecting farm to fork. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Hour. We're talking today with Shannon Pable, who is a lifelong artist and a gardener and a certified arborist and a fantastic garden designer. And we're talking today specifically in this section of the show about growing vegetables and and having them look nice and neat so the homeowners association isn't going to get you for having them. Um, Later on, we're going to be talking about one of her other passions, which is edibles uh, herbals and medicinals. So if you have an interest in those, you're going to w- want to make sure that you get here and stay listening. Now, right before the break, we were talking about square foot gardenings and parterre gardens and the advantage, of, one of the advantages of those is being very neat. But when you're trying to keep the vegetable garden, when the, your vegetable garden is in the front yard and it's visible to everybody, you have to make a few compromises, don't you? You wouldn't want to use a plain old ugly tomato cage because then everybody would know that you're growing vegetables mm-hmm. in your front yard. Mm-hmm. So how would you get away with that? Of course, you could grow, grow small tomatoes in patio pots, right? Uh, which are, right. I do a lot of container gardening. The bush gardening. tomatoes, which mm-hmm. um, some of them you can get away with not even caging them as long as you pinch them back. You might have to use some supports. You can put some green stakes mm-hmm. in there, which disappear. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed that some of your big box store, they now have the tomato cages that are these brightly colored cages in blue and green and purple. Um, but that may not work so well in your front yard, you know, if, if your HOA, you know, you know, has some pretty strict regulations. So, um, one option is if you have the regular silver-looking tomato cages, you can spray paint them black. If you spray paint them black, they will disappear in your garden, and you won't see them from the street. That's a good tip, and I assume that flat black would be better than something shiny black. Yeah, probably you, flat black. It'll just disappear. You know, Or you could try to do something decorative and do um, a pretty trellis. Um, you know, get a decorative-looking trellis. Um, you know, if you want to grow maybe beans, pole beans. Um, get a beautiful trellis. And some of those beans, have you seen them? Um, the purple beans. Louisiana the, purple pot yeah. bean is one that when I used to do slideshows, I would take my show on mm-hmm. the road and go out speaking to people about growing vegetables. And when I'd show pictures of the Louisiana purple pod, the audience would just gasp mm-hmm. because it's got beautiful pinkish lavender blooms that are quite large. And then the beans are just absolutely bright gorgeous. Purple. They're and gorgeous. They look yeah. an awful lot like the ornamental bean, the purple hyacinth bean vine. Yes, the purple hyacinth That bean. was so mm-hmm. popular you know, yeah. 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. Whatever happened to that vine? Do you see it around anymore? You know, I don't. And when we were just talking about the purple beans, uh, that was the first one that came to my mind. And I thought, you know what? I used to grow that all the time. And, and you know, I haven't grown it in probably 10 years. And I haven't seen it. And I, it's a really cool plant. I wonder if it's because more people are... A lot of people seem to be afraid of planting annuals or planting anything from seed. And I think maybe when it was popular 20 years ago, uh, people were still very much growing seeds from, growing from seed. You know, the morning glories and the moon vines and the purple hyacinth bean vine was was just something else that went along with it. Mm -hmm. But Louisiana purple pod, if you've never grown Mm -hmm. that, that is absolutely outstanding. Mm -hmm. And if you put, especially put it where the sunlight is going to hit it in the morning and come through it to just make it glow. It absolutely Mm -hmm. glows. It's a wonderful, wonderful bean. Yeah. Now, um, what else would you put? You're talking about using things taller in the center of a parterre garden. Mm -hmm. What kind of tall things? You mentioned putting the squash up on a mound. Mm-hmm. What other things that might you do there? You know, any of your um, your taller vegetables or, um, or like I was saying, with your beans, if you were to trellis them, you could have them in the center. And actually what I've done before is I've taken... Um, two just flat trellises and lean them together mm-hmm. to make sort of a lean-to. 
and um, and wired them together at the top, the two trellises, and then grow the beans up the sides. And then that way, harvest time, I walk into the center of it, and my beans are hanging in the center, and I can easily pick my beans. But it's also very pretty. Do you paint the lattice? Or do you um, just leave it natural? I actually, um, I bought uh, these white PVC mm-hmm. lattices, which lasted forever in my garden. I can, uh, that's good to know, because mm-hmm. I, here with the southern sun, of course, oh, yeah. things break down. They disappear a lot faster yeah. than they did up north. Mm-hmm. I, when That was one of the biggest revelations, besides this red clay soil that we mm-hmm. deal with. When I grew up in the Midwest uh, with with 20 or 30 feet of topsoil and it was all sandy loam and then moving to New Jersey and gardening there and basically well we we called it clay because we didn't know any better yeah uh, we yeah. didn't hadn't yet met Georgia clay and for those of you out there that have good soil please count your blessings because Georgia clay well let's put it this way uh, back during the civil war or just before the civil war there was a brick factory right down the road from me Mm-hmm. They would just harvest the clay and turn it in, bake it into bricks, and mm-hmm. that's what I had to garden on when I first came. Yeah, and and that's where <clears throat> talking about the um, parterre gardens when you have the borders on the side, because basically you're building a raised bed, mm-hmm. and I can't emphasize enough about adding soil, making raised beds. If you do have that hard pan soil, well, build on top of it. Make yourself a raised bed. Build up your borders using, you know, you can use a brick, you can use a stone, natural rock. Uh, build it up a good 8 inches, 10 inches, 12 inches. Um, visibly, it looks nice. It looks better to have your beds a little bit taller than your walkways or your lawn. Um, but also the plants will greatly benefit. They'll have nice drainage. They'll have some nice nutritious soil. So I can't emphasize that enough about bringing in good soil. You can change the soil. You don't have to garden on your adobe or your clay or whatever you have there. Exactly. I've got exactly. a friend who lives in Kentucky and gardens basically on limestone. Oh, and yeah. she had to raise up everything thing because nothing would grow. Yes. Most of the vegetables, of course, like a slightly lower pH, lower than neutral, around 6, yeah. 8 or so, and her soil was just so limey. And then, of course, there was no drainage either because she had these big hunks of limestone. Yeah. And so what she ended up doing in some areas was taking out limestone because, of course, it wasn't too horribly hard to um, break up. And then she used those to, ra- to edge her beds. Exactly. And exactly. then started filling them. And she was a young homeowner you know, we've all mm-hmm. been there and mm-hmm. been broke, and you look for ways to do it. Mm-hmm. So she went out, and she would just collect twigs and stuff like that, and she started that with that as the base, twigs and grass clippings. Yeah. When I, I started out composed. with my garden, <laughs> I, I used to, I, I confess, for all of you who live in Atlanta area, um, in Buckhead, and you had your bags of leaves disappear after the yard man left. That was me. I would drive down from my home up north of Atlanta. I would come into this into town on the days of trash pickup when they were going to be picking up mm-hmm. the leaves and stuff like that. And I was a leaf rustler. Yeah. I stole them, and I took them back to my own garden. Passions of a gardener. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it worked. You know, it it certainly Because I had, you know, there were almost no trees on my property. There was one line of trees in the backyard, and they didn't produce enough even just to make mulch for things, let alone improving my soil. Oh, yeah. When I see the brown bags sitting out front in people's yards i just want to cry i'm sitting here thinking oh my gosh what you can do with that all that organic matter that's going away oh yeah you, and then they're yeah. over at walmart buying crazy buying buying colored mulch. <laughs> buying colored mulch and soil you know where you're getting rid of that liquid gold yes you know People, in those bags please and, oh gosh please keep the stuff where, where it needs to be that's in your own garden yeah. And that's another thing that I've helped people do. Um, a lot of homeowners associations won't let you compost or have a compost pile. Mm-hmm. And some people will get compost bins because they make them a little bit more attractive now. But if you don't have that option and you do have a place in your backyard that's not being used, plant shrubs around it 
exactly. make your compost pile in the middle. And if they're flowering yeah. shrubs, if they're something like hydrangeas uh, or azaleas, people won't even know what's going yeah. on. Back if you there. use evergreens, especially, and usually it it'll be back in in maybe a, a shady spot in your mm-hmm. yard. Um, so yeah, azaleas would be perfect. Elysium, um, but that's usually what I'll if somebody has me doing a design, a full design for their entire landscape, I'll usually have that in the plan. This is the place where you can dump your grass clippings, branches, leaves, whatever. Use it. Compost it. Um, In fact, you don't even have to turn it. If you just let it sit there, it will naturally do its thing. You know, that's what nature does. Nature doesn't go in there with a pitchfork and turn the soil up. It just, it sits there and then, you know, years down the road, all of a sudden you have some wonderful stuff back there. Back when I was a young gardener, I was really fascinated by the whole compost process Mm -hmm. and I had a compost thermometer and I would go out and I would you know mix perfect layers of greens and browns uh, and toss in a little bit of fertilizer and turn it religiously and Mm -hmm. dampen it down every couple of days and I had wonderful compost and when I got up to 165 degrees in the middle of that compost pile I was just jumping for joy (laughs) now my compost is dump and run you know, mm-hmm. I have a little place for it. Yep. The, the coffee grounds, the tea leaves, the everything that's not meat or dairy goes back in there. Yep. All my eggshells. And I just dump it. If it's something mm-hmm. that's going to be attractive to, say, yellow jackets or something, like cantaloupe rinds. Yeah, you got to bury those. I, yeah, you I will cover those, those up. I keep yeah. a bag of leaves and stuff so I can cover those up because it's not fun to walk by there later no. and have all those those nasty no. yellow jackets there. Yeah, I'm fortunate enough that um, I'm I am in a subdivision and I have almost two acres, so you know I do have the flexibility of of having the area in the back to compost. So I have the moving compost pile. <laughs> I'll have a place where I dump an area and that I know eventually I'm going to plant. So maybe for a few years I'll be dumping my grass clipping. Well, I don't really have much of a lawn, so I can't say much grass clippings, but my leaves and everything else. else. I know, exactly, right? (laughs) Um, And then a few years down the road, you know, when everything is nice and dark and rich, you know, I'll plant there. And then I start up a new area with, you know, another place that I'll Mm -hmm. be, you know, composting. So, but again, you know, not everybody, your typical subdivision, you're only going to have a quarter acre of a lot. So, and when I first moved in, we had a really hideous chain link fence all around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, uh, we bought the house because of the chain link fence because we had dogs and we've mm-hmm. been living in the city and having to walk the dogs all the time. Well, it was suburbia, but you know, it, it, we had to walk the dogs. And when I spotted this house with the chain link fence uh, advertised, I had my dad who was living my my folks were down here at the time I had him go and and take a look and it's only two thirds of an acre I don't have your two acres but it's plenty big but the chain link fence was so ugly when I finally saw the house itself was about an hour after closing because I just flew down for the closing Mm -hmm. and I didn't look at it and I saw this chain link and I got it looked like a prison farm (laughs) it was really awful so I knew I had to get planting on there and I did some annual vines the first couple years but I wanted Mm -hmm. to do something better so I did exactly what you did I took some of those leaves and some of the grass clippings that I would rustle and lined them up right along I made a two foot swath right next to the Mm -hmm. chain link fence and kept dumping them there and dumping them there and in a couple of years, I had some really good soil, and what oh, I planted yeah. in there just took off. Yes. And it, and it was also something that I could plant where it um, it wasn't going to be, I wouldn't have to dig so hard, because my front fence line is about 70 feet long. Okay. And digging in red clay 70 oh, feet, yeah. that's, mm-hmm. that's just impossible. So when, yeah. when I did finally go in to, there to plant, the earthworms have come up. They worked yep. their way through it, loosened up the soil. Yep. It was all nice and soft. We're coming up on a break right now, but Shannon, tell people what your website is so people can get in there. Uh, it's basically my name, www.shannonpable.com. Okay, and on that note, we will be right back. Quick stakes. That's 
Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Hour. We are talking with Shannon Pable today. I'm Daryl Pullis. Shannon and I are both, we, we've known each other for a long time, but we can't figure out how. We're, we're both master gardeners. <laughs> we're both members of the Na- uh, Georgia Native Plant Society. Mm-hmm. We both, we have traveled back and forth. We have a lot of mutual friends. And one day, I guess you just came over and we went. Yeah, down to a nursery. Yeah, we went to a nursery, and um, yeah, and you gave me some tomato plants. You grew from seed, and yeah, I know our, our paths have just crossed so many different times. I can't remember exactly where we met. If it was through Walter or through maybe a flower show, through the Master Gardeners, probably all the above. Georgia Perennial Plant Association, yeah, yeah. Some, <laughs> somewhere or another. When when you are a gardener and you are in Georgia in particular, I think. You cross paths with people at oh, many yeah. different events yeah. uh, because there are so many things that you can go to and things that you can do in Georgia. I know when I was living in New Jersey, there didn't seem to be that many unless you were a, a member of a garden club. Mm-hmm. And th- I, I'm sure there must have been events, but they just weren't as publicized as they are down here. Yeah. And that may be because here in Georgia, unlike other parts of the country, we're out gardening pretty much 12 months out of the year. Oh, yeah, that's why I live here and I've stayed. Which is, <laughs> you're originally from Florida, is that right? No, actually California. Cali- oh, California. Uh, yeah, I lived there for 19 years. Then I moved to Florida to go to school, got my degrees there. Um, and you got your degrees in engineering now. How did yeah. you get from engineering to art <laughs> and garden design? Yeah, I was uh, electrical engineer for about 10 years. Um, and um, let me see. Well, I got married. Um had two children, daughter and a son, who are now 22 and 19. Um, when my son was born, my second, I decided I didn't want to work full-time, and my husband was good with that. Um, and I was a stay-at-home mom for a little while, but, you know, me being who I am, I just wanted to be doing something. Um, Shannon's a very high-energy <laughs> person, if you, if you ca- haven't gathered that already. Um, but, yeah, you know, I'm an, I was an artist. So I was dabbling in painting. I was, uh, which actually that turned into um, a career for a while. Was uh, murals and photo finishes, and but I also was a gardener and. Um, I guess now I, I'm able to combine just about everything, my, my engineering, my art, my gardening, um, into what I do now. So and you're also passionate about native plants. Yes. And, yes. and also herbs. Now, mm-hmm. how did you get into the herbs and herbal medicine and things like that? Um, oh, gosh. Back in, oh, 1991, 92, um, I was introduced, my husband and I um, were introduced uh, to some books by the author uh, Tom Brown, Jr., who teaches up in New Jersey. We were fascinated by his books on wilderness survival. 
Um, we took several of his classes, and I automatically gravitated towards the plants in wilderness survival, the edible, medicinal, utilitarian plants, and just was fascinated by that. So back in 1992, I think I had taken my first class with Tom Brown, and then... Oh, gosh, taken several classes from him. And then um, there's some wonderful instructors um, in the southeast. Um, Mark Warren of Medicine Bow is here in North Georgia. Took a number of plant classes from him. He's wonderful. He still teaches here. Um, and um, Richard Cleveland in North Carolina, who is, um, he was a, an assistant instructor for Tom Brown, so I met him through that. And now... Um, I teach with um, several instructors up in Tennessee, um, a fellow by the name of Victor Wooten, who's a, gosh, five-time Grammy-winning bass player, and he has these um, wonderful camps, and it's a music and nature camp. And so I teach the nature side along with a few other instructors. Um, we teach wilderness survival skills. We introduce the students to plants, um, and obviously a lot of the plants that we see in nature, a lot of them are native, but there's also some wild plants that have naturally um, established themselves here that may not be native, but um, we try to introduce them to those plants that are beneficial, that you can use for health benefits, for food, um, what to would make be, tools. What would be an example of something that people would use for health benefits? Oh, gosh. Um, I will start with, um, how about jewelweed? Ah, jewelweed. Jewelweed, yeah. For those that don't know jewelweed, I, I don't know how far north it grows. Um, oh, I've seen it up in Wisconsin. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I maybe just wasn't looking. But jewelweed mm-hmm. is a relative of the impatience. Mm-hmm. And has, I grow it just because yeah. it likes damp and the hummingbirds love it. Yes. And it also is very soothing for poison ivy. Yes. It's sort of our nature's cortisone, I guess you could say. Um I've used it in a number of ways for poison ivy. I've used it as a um, a wash. I'll, I'll take a five-gallon bucket, fill it up with a bunch of jewelweed, and then add water and just mush it all up and make this big, giant, soupy mass of jewelweed. And, um, and I'll wash with that after I've been outside in it. Um, and usually, if, if you know you've been exposed to poison ivy, Try to thoroughly wash your skin within 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing worse. And I am I do this, especially if I'm working in the garden in the winter and I have forgotten that there's poison ivy on a site. Mm-hmm. And I don't come in. And I, I, oh, when I come in, I'll wash my hands, of course. But I don't think that while I've been out there, I've been brushing my hair out of my eyes mm-hmm. or something like that and or maybe gotten dirt in my face from poison, that had poison ivy. I remember pulling up a poison ivy vine once and getting dirt with poison ivy roots all down my front. Oh. Yeah. Goodness. So getting getting wa- getting that stuff washed off. Now why does jewelweed work more than better than just say water or soap and water? Um you know Soap and water works great um, as well. Um, I think this the jewelweed is also very soothing. Um, I don't know. I, from a scientific standpoint, I don't know if it works better than soap and water. I just know that it's worked for me in that in that regard. And How, if you're out in the woods, that's what you have. That's what I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. But what I have used it for after the fact, when I actually had poison ivy, the poison ivy rash, um, I've actually taken the poison ivy leaves, made a poultice out of it, and basically making a poultice is you take the leaves, you smash them, um, and so they're sort of pulpy and juicy and really mucilaginous. And I put that directly on the rash, and I wrap it, and it actually helps soothe the itching. It, it so you, you know you take the jewel weed and you just mash crump, it, crumple it up, crush it. It's very juicy, mm-hmm. and you stick it on <clears throat> on your rash, and then I'll wrap it. And maybe every 30 minutes to an hour, you might want to do that again. I know that sounds like a lot of work, and people say, well, why not just, you know, use calamine lotion or go to the doctor and get a shot? Well, maybe you might be in a situation where you can't. Well, and if it works, why not take advantage of it? 
Yeah, exactly. And it did work. It definitely helped relieve the itching. Um, I've not tried wrapping it and doing it every 30 minutes. Maybe yeah. that would give me better luck. Because when I get poison ivy, I get poison ivy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got scars from poison ivy mm-hmm. from years ago. And sometimes I do end up having to go to the doctor for it. Because, like I said, I'm not really all that careful out in the yard. I should be, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not. And I, I know a lot of people other people that aren't too um so other other than other than the jewel weed then what else might be out there that you could use well um let me point out that jewel weed is a native plant and it's our native impatient um but let's talk about a plant that has established itself here that's not necessarily native this is an example of because a lot of times people think that if it's growing wild in nature it's native that's not true. I mean, Hudson, Privet, whatever. <laughs> um, one of my favorites, though, is dandelion. You know, the, the little little yellow-flowered plant mm-hmm. that actually is, is on the Roundup commercial that they use as an Why example of to kill. Poor little dandelions. <laughs> and actually, a field full of dandelions is actually beautiful. Well, dandelion just has so many wonderful uses as far as from a nutritional standpoint and also a medicinal standpoint. Um, It's a natural diuretic. And um, if the doctor gives you a diuretic, let's say um, an actual, um, you know, prescription prescription for basics or something, Um, the number one thing that you have to be careful of is your potassium levels, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, dandelion naturally has potassium in it. It's loaded with it. So it's not only a diuretic, but it also contains enough potassium to keep you out yes. of that. And a lot of people don't know that if you get depleted of potassium, your heart can stop. Yep. Your right. blood pressure it's, will skyrocket and yeah, a and lot of... You don't want to go yeah. there. So, exactly. how, so how would you get your the good stuff out of the dandelion then? Well, there's a lot of different ways. You can um, use the leaves. You can use them dried or fresh. You can make a tea. And usually when you're introducing somebody to medicinal plants, the easiest way to introduce them is to start making a tea. Because everybody's drank tea one time or another in their life. You take the leaves. If you're using fresh, you use twice as much as to the dried. So um, maybe you take the leaves, you dry them, you crush them, you take a teaspoon, put it in um, in a cup, add your hot water, let it steep for maybe 15, 20 minutes. And when you let it steep, cover it. That keeps everything in there. And, um, and then drink. And that I think that's, that's the easiest way to introduce something. But that's just one of the many, many uses that, um, that we have for dandelions. So um, I just can't emphasize enough good things about the plant. Yeah, I, it makes me crazy. When and it's I, from Europe. Yes. They brought it over, settlers yeah. brought it over here because it was such a useful yeah, plant. Yes, it's, its nickname is White Man's Footprint. I did not know that, mm-hmm. or if I knew, I forgot. I've forgotten an <laughs> awful lot of stuff in my my dotage here. <laughs> but so I I remember reading that, and I've I've never tried it. You probably have roasting dandelion roots. Yeah, for coffee substitute. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. I understand mm-hmm. it was done a lot here in the South when people you know, during the embargoes and people didn't have. Yeah. Have coffee. Chicory was used in the north. We used dandelion in the south. I, now, chicory I've had because mm-hmm. chicory was just all over when I was growing exactly. up. When I was a kid, mm-hmm. chicory. You know, and but it doesn't really grow here. You don't see it here. It, it just doesn't. It doesn't like the heat. Exactly. You know, it's like I would love to live up north, except my body does not like the cold. Yeah. I think chicory just doesn't like the heat. Chicory yeah. and rhubarb. Mm, yeah, Kate, Kate and I were mm. talking about rhubarb a couple of weeks ago or last week, and um, we just can't grow it here. Yeah, very well. and my mother-in-law in Wisconsin has beautiful patches of rhubarb every year. Oh, Those I bet they're big, gorgeous. gorgeous leaves. Yeah, you can't grow it here. <laughs> my sister-in-law tried for a really long time. She um, she would even put ice on her rhubarb plant to, in the winter to, to try to keep it cold enough, and it just didn't do the job. Yeah. Okay, so when when you're harvesting dandelion leaves, we only have about a minute before the break. When you're harvesting dandelion leaves, does it matter what at what stage you're doing it to make a tea? You know, I know sometimes after a while they get kind of white and milky, sappy. Yeah, 
if you are eating them, I would say you want to use the tender leaves as far as, um, if, you know, just like with lettuce, if you let it start getting a little seedy, it starts getting bitter. So if you're actually going to eat it in a salad, you know, harvest the young, fresh leaves. Um, as far as making a tea out of it um, for medicinal uses, I think, yes, it'll be more potent probably early on. Later in the season, it might be less potent because, you know, especially when a plant's going to flower, it's putting the energy into the flower and the seeds. Um, Let, let's talk about the okay. seeding thing when mm-hmm. we come back from the break. Yeah. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is Michael Gannot with the Middle East Research Center Limited, bringing you Insight to Israel, the truth about the greatness of the Jewish state and its struggle for sovereignty and security, every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning and welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Hour. We're just having such a good time here. We are. Talking about plants. And now we're going to get into something a little bit, um, I guess you could even call it plant sex, couldn't you? Because we're talking about when a plant goes into its reproductive stage, what happens to it nutritionally and medicinally? We're talking specifically about the dandelions when it starts to go into flower. What happens in there? Yeah, which is typical with with any plant, you know, it's when you think about it in the winter time, what is the plant doing? Maybe in, in late winter, early spring, more late winter, the energy's in the roots, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, it hasn't leafed out yet. So the energy is there in the roots. So from a medicinal standpoint, let's say you, you were looking to harvest the roots of a plant for medicine. Well, when would the best time be to harvest those roots? In the wintertime. Correct, because the energy are in the roots. Now, in the spring, when it starts to leaf out and you have those lush green leaves just leafing out, now, where's the the energy? Is it more so in the roots or in the leaves? It's gone from the roots up into the leaves. Correct. So... Now the plant is getting a little bit later in the season, so it's starting to produce the flowers. So, again, where's most of the energy? Gone right into the flower. (laughs) Yeah, and then it goes to seed. Well, or into fruit, seed, whichever. So... The way I look at it, too, is um, when you look at the plant as a whole, let's say a perennial, the part of the plant that is closest to the sun, that's the place where most of your energy oh, is. Oh, interesting. I had never looked at it huh? that way. Yeah. When, when you think about it, even like apples ripening on a tree, yeah. it's the ones on the outside. Exactly. Up at the top that yeah. ripen first. Kind of mm-hmm. simple, huh? <laughs> I, I just I never thought about it that way. Yeah. I have okay. a simple mind. <laughs> okay, so if you're harvesting the root for medicinal or food purposes, you want to do it in the wintertime if you can find it. under. But, you know, that's an advantage. For example, with I would think with carrots, 
if you're hard because carrots you can just brush if you're if you're smart enough to put a board or something over before the snow gets it mm-hmm. and covers them up, you can harvest carrots all through the winter. Just shovel mm-hmm. off the board and, and pull a few carrots and and then put the board back down and let the snow cover it over. Um, so that would be the most nutritious part then. Mm-hmm. And later on, we're eating the fruits. Mm-hmm. And I suppose if you wanted to make really killer elderberry or dandelion wine, you would want them right at the peak of their mm-hmm. uh, at their bloom, wouldn't you? Exactly. I hadn't thought exactly. about that. And elderberries, you do want to make sure those berries are very ripe. Um, and that just kind of I gets thought the elderberries were toxic. Uh, if they're not ripe, of course. Some people have said that bananas, when they're green, they can be toxic. Um, But that also gets into another realm when we start talking about medicine versus food. Um, Medicine can be food. Food can be medicine. Mm -hmm. However, there's those plants that might be used more so for medicine, maybe because their chemical constituents are very, very powerful. And so you have to do that, take that plant in moderation. Um, The more powerful that those chemical constituents are, the more careful you have to be. That's one of the things that's always kind of scared me off of herbal medicine, Mm because I don't know enough. And while I take herbs, I make sure that they're USP, you know, Certified and they're properly prepared. Mm-hmm. I'm a little nervous about doing my own. Some things I I like using jewelweed, for example. Right. I'm not eating it. It's a poultice. Um, yes. I have never considered using dandelion leaves as a diuretic, but now that you've mm-hmm. told me about that, that sounds like a an interesting thing to do. And mm-hmm. I guess because I'm more familiar with dandelions and I've eaten dandelion greens in a salad, mm-hmm. that that's not so scary to me either. Exactly, exactly. What would you advise people to stay away from if they've heard in herbal medicine? Well, is there anything that there's you... something that comes to mind that um, there's a lot of discrepancies. Um, and that's pokeweed. You know, pokeweed. Mm-hmm. People I love say, pokeweed. oh, what about poke salad? And it's, that's, no, it's, <laughs> there's, you have to be real careful with pokeweed. Well, the um, berries are very toxic to people. Yes, the berries are very toxic. The root can be extremely toxic. However, there are medicines made from the root and from the leaves that's very powerful medicine that must you must be very very careful in fact you really shouldn't take that unless you have a certified herbalist um, instructing you on exactly how to take it, what to take, when to take. Um, so you have to be careful with those medicines that are a lot more powerful um, but People say, well, you know, what about this poke salad and, or eating poke weed and blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, you can harvest those very early leaves of the poke plant. Um, when maybe it's just a few inches tall, you can clip those leaves. And that was commonly done here in the south as yeah. a spring, what they called a spring tonic, because it was the first green that you would get. Yes. But, but they also, they had to prepare it specially, too, didn't they? Yes. They didn't just pick them up out of the garden and eat them like you'd go out and pick up lettuce leaves. Exactly. What they would do is they would boil them, change out the water, boil them again, and dump out the water. So they would cook it through two changes of water to get um, those chemical constituents that were very, very strong, very powerful out of the plant. To make it edible. To make it edible. I wonder where the rest of the nutrition went, too, if yeah. with the leaves. But if you're hungry and that's what you've got, you know, that maybe some cornmeal, you're going to eat what you have and you just cook it to make it yeah. safe. But there's so many plants out there, though, that you don't have to do that with. Chickweed. Oh, chickweed. Chickweed's a wonderful edible. Yes. Raw or cooked, sautéed. Um, violets, you know, throw them in a salad. Um, I have to tell you a story about some violets. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who was doing a very fancy um, garden party and she had 
picked a whole lot of violet flowers and washed them sort of and refrigerated them and then the morning of the party she put the violet flowers out there and as they warmed up they start things started moving on them was that me that told you that story maybe because I, I did the exact same thing but it was with pansies i, I decorated I the place with pansies and by that afternoon when they all showed up there were slugs crawling across the place oh it was my beautiful. she yeah. only had a few aphids on her <laughs> and yeah. fortunately it was a group slugs. of gardeners so so we all had a really good laugh at that <laughs> but that, that just goes to show you if you are going to eat something from the wild unless you want a little extra protein you do need mm-hmm. to be very careful and wash it yeah you might want to wash it off yeah um, <laughs> depending upon who's eating it who you're inviting over well if you want to get rid of them just leave them on there right mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which kind of brings me to a, a story about corn earworms and mm-hmm. i'm sure most mm-hmm. everybody in the country has come across corn earworms i don't know whether the folks up in alaska do have i'll have to ask my my nephew if they even grow corn up there but we were at the farmer's market my mother and i and there was a woman there who was buying corn and somebody behind said uh, are there worms in that corn and the lady turned around and said if it's good enough for the worms it's good enough for me <laughs> and bought it anyway <laughs> so i guess there's all sorts of ways of looking at at food mm-hmm. and uh, okay so violets you can eat chickweed mm-hmm. you can eat i i really mm-hmm. never tasted chickweed until a couple of years ago and i because i was just pulled it up and gave it to my chickens i really mm-hmm. encourage it to grow because my chickens love it so much mm-hmm. and in the winter there's not very much real green stuff for them yes. to have and they really need to get all their energy put back to get uh, together in their bodies after laying eggs all mm-hmm. fall and then they, in the winter time they rest and they get ready for that whole new cycle so mm-hmm. i picked a lot of it and one day i was just after eating emailing my back and forth with a friend of mine in Ireland, I said, well, you know, why not? I, I'm just going to eat this stuff. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. It oh, was it's, wonderful. It's a wonderful green, and it is so good for you. Um, another one of my favorites is purslane. It's so crunchy. You put it in a salad or in a um, in a sandwich. It's just that wonderful texture and crunch, uh, and it's all over the place. But that brings me to another point. When you are harvesting, you know, I'm talking about a lot of these things that we call weeds, which is mm-hmm. essentially a plant out of place. But you need to be really careful where you're harvesting and make sure that, you know, people aren't putting down chemicals in the area. Is it near a roadside because of the heavy metals in the road? So you really yeah. want to be careful about where you're harvesting. I read an interesting question and answer about roadside harvesting. And someone made the point that while we don't have lead in the gasoline anymore and of course that used to be the main concern all yes. that the the lead from the exhaust the tires. we still have zinc and other metals in tires mm-hmm. and stuff in the roadside the roadside may have been recycled and we don't know what's in there and and that can be blowing onto the food so make sure you're in a safe neighborhood and you know not very heavily trafficked or let let a few of these weeds grow in your own garden Yep. That way you know that they haven't been sprayed. You know that they don't have all the toxics on them. Um, I can't imagine being hungry enough, and I hope we never get to a point where we have to be harvesting that. But if we do, it's it's a good thing to know. Yes. Make sure that you avoid that stuff. Exactly. All right. So we have talked about vegetables we've talked a little bit about herb and wild crafting how would somebody go about finding a class or you mentioned that you teach at a at a camp uh yeah i teach up in tennessee just uh, about an hour out of nashville and um like i said it's with a fellow um victor wooten very talented musician bass player um and i believe his website well you could actually get to the camps um victor wooten dot com um if you're a musician and you are interested in nature it's a perfect camp for you that sounds like something that i would really like to do Mm -hmm. and there are some books around i'm sure do you have any links from your website to good books or yeah i know i have some links on my website um we'll be putting up something mm -hmm. on our facebook page too Mm -hmm for America's Web Radio and the America's Homegrown Mm -hmm. Veggie Show. And 
perhaps you can send me some links and I will add those to it too. Definitely. And I can't emphasize enough um, Mark Warren of Medicine Bow. Uh, if you Google his, his name, you, you will find his website. He does classes up in uh, just near Dahlonega. And Richard Cleveland um, up in North Carolina. Um, both of them are excellent instructors. I know that the uh, New York Botanical Garden has done some classes on edibles, too, edible mm-hmm. herbals and medicinals. Mm-hmm. So people don't feel that they have to be in the South. They can go looking for it. Yes. And oh, one other person, um, Patricia Howell, who is up in North Georgia, and also she comes down and teaches inside the perimeter as well. She has wonderful programs. Um, she is a licensed certified herbalist. Um, I've taken okay. several classes from her. So mm-hmm. that's another name that people can look for. Mm-hmm. We're just about at the end of the show, but I'd like to thank you, Shannon, for being sure. my guest today. Thanks for having um, me. And tell people again what your website is, because I w- really want you want them to go and look at your beautiful gardens. Oh, and, well, thank and, you. And go and look at some of the show notes, what the judges have said about some of your designs. Just, and, and even mm-hmm. though you're not doing um, taking any new clients, they need to go take a look. So it is Shannon Pable dot com and that's s-h-a-n-n-o-n-p-a-b-l-e and we're at the end of the show but we will be back next week we're talking more gardening and vegetables and if you have a gardening question if we if you have a topic that you would like or a guest that you would like to hear maybe a, an author of a book um, just email us through america's web radio website We'll see you next week. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.